Hi, I'm Dr. Eric Clavel, and thank you for joining us for this very special Clavel Report, the year in review, season one. I can't believe that we have been with you for one entire season. We've seen so many changes uh, through law, policy, and politics, and popular culture. Uh, so much change has happened in such a short period of time. But also, the dream of the Clavel Report has come to life. We've been able to create a platform where we can talk about and delve into as deep as we want very important issues that we hear on news stations, that we read about, that we may see on blogs, but we don't really know the intricate details about those issues. Here on the Clavier Report, we aim to tell you about what those details are, what are the things that you hear what are the things that you don't hear? What are the things that are said? What are the things that are not said? And what to look out for? I've approached the Clavier Report with my philosophy as I teach. I First of all, I believe that laws and public policies are created in its intent or in its effect for three reasons. To control and dictate people, beliefs, and resources. In other words, you could take any statute, any piece of public policy, regulation, any court case, any court ruling, and place it within that philosophy, in that premise, and it would be, it would prove itself. I'll use the example of Brown versus Board of Education. The law that was challenged at that time period was segregation, legalized segregation in schools. Within that law, it stated that people depending on your race, ethnicity, had to go to a certain school and cannot come together. It also stated in that law that resources had to be divided a certain way to one school greater than the other. And finally, it also created a belief mechanism in people to where they understood whether it was right or wrong, that because they were of this color, ethnicity. They were given the right to go to this school and others were not. To control and dictate in its intent or effect people, beliefs, and resources. Also, I approach the Clever Report from another philosophy that I teach from. It's what I call the pendulum of change. And I call it the pendulum of legal change, the pendulum of public policy change. But basically, the principle is, is that pendulums swing to the extremes. And what happens is when a law is passed or a case is decided, it is the extreme that is decided. So case in point, in 1954, Brown versus Board of Education, the day before that decision was decided, again, Brown versus Board of Education 2, the second time the case was brought, the day before it was decided, legalized segregation was legal. Now, it was constitutional. With the constitutional challenge, the day it was decided, it became unconstitutional, thereby illegal. So the pendulum of legal change and public policy swung to the extreme. However, as a pendulum swings back and forth, it loses momentum and settles in the middle. Those invisible forces that cause that pendulum to swing back and forth are what I call social forces, 
economic forces, political forces, and the human the force of human will. And that is what causes another challenge to start again. Once that pendulum settles in the middle on an issue that becomes decided or undecided, depending on the circumstance, it then swings again. So finally, I also approach the Kluber Report from the philosophy of seek ye first to understand, then to be understood. By doing so, you will make a more well-informed decision. Seek ye first to understand, then to be understood. By doing so, you'll make a more well-informed decision. What do I mean by that? In order to, well, first of all, many times we approach an issue, we approach people, we approach a concept, we approach change with questions. We approach it with a wall that is automatically put up. We don't want to engage in it because we don't understand it. We don't know what it is. It goes against our tradition, our values, what we've always done. But what my philosophy teaches is that if you first seek to understand, then be understood, your decisions will be more well-informed. To seek you first to understand, first, you must humble yourself. You must say, I know what I've been doing, but I'm going to humble myself and ask to be educated. In other words, I'm going to admit I don't know, or I don't understand quite as much. Secondly, not only do you have to humble yourself, but you have to respect the other person or the other con or the other entity that's providing the concept. Now, you may not agree, because there are a lot of concepts, a lot of things that I don't agree with that are new, but at least I take the time to humble myself, to respect others, to understand it first. That also stops us from hurling insults, uh, allowing preconceived notions and stereotypes and prejudices to rise up. And those, those aspects of our society, which creeps into our personalities, stops growth. And on the Clavier Report, we don't want to stop growth. We want to create growth. We want to stimulate growth. We want to ensure that you are well-informed about the issues from every avenue, every standpoint, every perspective. Finally, what I believe is that we take a look at and we analyze laws, public policies, politics, actions, and inactions from various aspects. First, we start with history. I believe that history is simply his story. History is something that you can't change. Five minutes ago, I started this segment with thanking you, which talking about how great it is that we've completed our first season. That's gone. I can't change that. But I can see it. I can analyze it, understand it better. His story. Also, it's been told that if we don't understand our history, we're destined to repeat the mistakes of our past. That's very true. History costs us nothing, but it shows us everything. It shows us the good. It also shows us the bad. But I love it because it's so clear. But as we interpret it, it becomes so complex, which is why we take a look and we analyze these very important issues in our society, 
from the lens of history, and then we look at the lens of legislative history. What actually took place in the making of these laws and public policy? What took place in the judicial history? What took place as the judges uh, wrote their decisions? What took place in the minds of brokers and power makers, or as I call them, policymakers, movers, and shakers? What took place? You know, there are two types of laws that we have in our world. And here in our country, we have what's called common law and civil law. Now, of course, there's one state that recognizes civil law, but 80% of the of the world recognizes civil law. And what civil law does, it creates and it has within the statutes a history, of legislative history, of the interpretation of the law, the reason behind it. It's kind of like a manual to the statute itself. I love the civil law because being more professorial and being more uh, detailed in research, it allows me to delve deeply inside of the minds and the intent of the policymakers. So understanding the judicial and the legislative history. Also, I believe that everything is economics. Understand the economic piece that is attached to every law, every public policy, every political move. You've heard it before in popular culture. If it doesn't make money, it doesn't make sense. Well, most of our decisions are made based upon economics. Will I make money off of it? Will I lose money off of it? Will I gain an economic advantage or will I gain an economic disadvantage? Or more importantly, will my enemies or foes gain an advantage over me economically? These decisions are made because of the economics or as my economics professor would tell me, based upon the relationship of supply and demand. All economics is supply and demand. It is a relationship. Also, we look at these issues and analyze them through social behavior. How do people deal with these issues? How do people accept issues? How do people grow and interact with each other? That's very important. Because we are a nation of not just laws, but we're a nation of cultures. We're a nation of people with emotions, a nation of complex relationships, a nation and a world that share so many common things. We share this planet. We share the atmosphere. We share the resources, some greater than others, some less than others. But we all are interconnected with each other. And that's what makes this human race, so important. It also makes it sometimes so complex, but I think only humans do that. But finally, we take all of this and we analyze it and we come to a decision of why it happens as it happens and we look toward the future. What do we now forecast that happened in 1865? Or let's just say 2020 or 2016, presidential election. Can it happen again? What took place during that time period to create the atmosphere, the mechanism to push a candidate that was so unorthodox to the very top of a party that was so, let's just say, conservative, maybe. But they found that they were not. Actually, their constituents were very radical. Or 
to push a party to believe that they don't have to connect with the people or their constituents as much because, well, they're going to vote for us anyway. And the person who was projected to win actually surprisingly lost. So we take those lessons from the present and look toward the future. So as we celebrate this first season of the Clavier Report, let's take a look back at the issues that we discussed. The very first segment, we discuss what is the future of the GOP. Now, many of you um, have that listened to me know that in 2015, I was one of the first ones um, on live air to predict that this unknown, uh, proven political um, candidate by the name of Donald Trump would win the Republican nomination. After Now, keep in mind, there were 17 persons in that uh, slate of candidates vying for the Republican nomination, and I believe he was dead last. But I said there's a brewing in society. There is a hatred in society for African-American upper mobility because of eight years of what was deemed to be a successful presidency and re-election of President Barack Obama. Also, we saw that there was an economic backlash because those that had did not have any more, and they could not gain what they used to have. And only this was being ignored. So you have a rebel that rises up where people in that particular party trusted them. Plus, people really mistook who their party really was. But they clearly showed them who they are. And as the saying goes, when someone shows you who, shows you who they are, make sure you believe them. So then I also predicted that he would win the election and called every state except Nevada. So we have now a former president that took a party away from the grips of tradition single-handedly without spending that much money and using an, or, an organic style of, of communication through Twitter, social media. It connected with millions of people and dictated world policy from it. So I thought it was fitting that we discuss, as we launched the Clavier Report, what is the future of the GOP? It's funny. We talked about it. We looked at the history. And I don't think we truly know what the future is. But tune in to season two, and we'll find out. Also, we looked at how the Democratic Party, where do they go from here? We understood that the Democratic Party themselves were also upset in 2016 and really didn't quite understand where they were at that particular time. So with the defeat of Hillary Clinton, with their rock star president, Barack Obama, out of office and out of public eye, and not really having a grasp on who the future is because you have a rising progressive arm and faction of the party, ironically spurred by one of the oldest candidates for president, Senator Bernie Sanders. And when you think about the policies that exist today, Senator Sanders, take a bow because you won. We're talking about universal health care. We're talking about a stimulus payment or basic income. We're talking about living wages where the pandemic 
shifted the power from the employee to the employer, from the employer to the employee. So where does the Democratic go from here? Tune in to season two, and we'll talk more about it. And then the impeachment, once again, of former President Donald Trump. How did he survive it again? We talked about the lack of courage of a lot of members of his party that knew what he was doing was wrong privately, but simply did not have the courage to say it openly because they wanted to keep their jobs. Politically, I get it. I understand it. But what would history say? How would history judge them? We'll take a closer look at this as we look at the midterm elections and further on in future seasons. And we took a look at the rise of the political, of the third political party. The rise of the political third party is something I believe that is getting a, a lot more traction. Now, we know living in America, there are two dominant parties. There's always been, in, in recent times, there have been three parties before. But it seems that the power, the balance of power, sides with one. Now, maybe this is because of a take-all-win um, type of mechanism that we have here in our country as opposed to a parliamentarian type. But we do know that there is a lot more steam and a lot more conversation and a lot more movement behind the rise of a political third party, a third political party. Will it be a party that is more in the middle, more moderate, whereas the two major parties become more extreme? One with the right radicals, and one with the progressive liberals. Tune in to season two as we delve more into it. And then we discuss George Floyd and the criminal justice system. We all saw the murder of George Floyd by now convicted felon, former officer. We saw how he took his power and abused it. We see how a man that begged for his life, called for his mother, lost control of his bodily fluids. And we saw him, we saw somebody die. We saw someone kill. The world saw it straightly. We saw the courage of that young lady, Philly, as officers stood there and did nothing to help. We saw how many offered help, many in disgust. They still respected the badge and not interfering when they were told not to, but they pleaded, pleaded with their voices, did everything that they could. But it's not their actions, but it's rather the, or inactions, but it's the actions of the officers that use and abuse their power. The world was changed, and the world will continue to be changed by that unfortunate death. But out of tragedy, I see triumph. Out of tragedy, many have saw change in a more positive manner. I know there's definitely been a lot of conversation around accountability, trust, confidence, and also a reckoning with our racial inequalities and inequities across our country. But we are not done. 
Tune in to season two as we continue to grapple with our criminal justice system and the accountability on all sides. Can we trust them? Can we have confidence in it? Well, we must because we are a nation of laws, but we're also a nation of people that must trust in those laws and those that are bound to enforce them. Tune in to season two to learn more. Then the pandemic, one year later. Who would have thought that we would live through what our great-great-grandparents, great-grandparents or grandparents lived through during the 1918-1920 flu pandemic that killed one-third of the world's population because it was new? Well, it could have happened the same way, but we saw our nations rise. We saw nations share information. We saw lockdowns across the world. We saw the world stop. And we had an opportunity to collect ourselves and to become closer to each other. We also had an opportunity to see what worked and what did not work. And our world is different. I know many people talk about going back to normal. It's not going to be normal. It's a new normal. But like change, we always will adjust. But what is that change? Tune in to season two. And then we saw a major momentum toward increase in voting and a momentum toward stopping access to the ballot. So we took a look at Voting Rights 2021, a tale of two Southern states, where we analyzed and looked at the Commonwealth of Virginia, which was the former capital of the Confederacy, that increased access to the ballot box, and Georgia, also a former Confederate state, that saw its legislature shrink and criminalize access to the ballot box. Can you believe that giving someone a bottle of water, standing in line, could be a violation and possibly a crime? Well, we took a look at the makeup of those, those legislatures and the makeup of those governor's offices. And we came to the conclusion that it, Elections do matter. Who you put in office, not just as president, but more specifically at your local level, absolutely matters. Then we took a look at the rising, examining a rising threat. World War III or Cold War II? Right now, many can say and see for yourself that international relations between the United States, NATO, and the Axis powers, former Axis powers of the former Soviet Union, Russia, also the newcomers of China and Iran are at an all-time low. We see now in the Middle East, we see now in Israel, we see that there's conflict all across the world. We also see the former Soviet bloc themselves under again, threat from their former country, Mother Russia. And where's the United States here? Well, for four years, we had a president that allowed things to happen and that admired the dictator, Vladimir Putin. What damage did that do? It certainly didn't help. But how far did it go? And we see the expansion of China, their influence across the world. Africa, South America, the Caribbean, and also Southeast Asia. 
this is something that's not going away. We've got to deal with it. And it may be that we can go through another Cold War or we will approach World War III. Stay tuned for more. And then we talked about gun reform. Is it the Wild West or are we looking at gun reform? We don't know. There are some states that value and have opened up the ability to not just carry guns and access them, but to use them with justification, minimal justification behind it. And there are others where we see smart gun policy making its way through various bodies of government. Where's the balance? Where's the agreement? Where is the consensus? Where's the common sense? This is something that we've dealt with for a while and we're going to continue to deal with. So we'll continue to talk about this moving forward. And then we took a look at the actual workings and dealings of police departments in excessive force. There, We've seen many, many cases. Of course, George Floyd first comes to mind. Eric Garner and many others where we see excessive force being used on an unequal level with African-Americans or blacks, black and brown people, and those who are white or Asian. Why is it that excessive force is used more so on people of color? And I like to say black and brown people because there are many people of color but we see where African-Americans are black people and Hispanic or brown Latinx people are marginalized even more so. We'll continue to grapple with this issue throughout society. And also, we'll discuss it here in other seasons and other shows. But in order to create change, it has to be created through the mechanism of protests and policy and lobbying. But which is more effective? How do you balance the two? Do you need both? Which came first, the protests or the lobby? Or is it both? Well, we know that true, true change comes through policy. That's it, public policy. But in order to get public policy, get the idea, analyze the need, create the solution from the idea onto paper, Present it as an introduction bill, argue through subcommittee, present it as subcommittee, argue on the full floor, vote it on, pass in both houses, and then sign it to law by the executive officer of that particular state or country. How do you do that? Well, first of all, a lot of problems go un unheard. Protest actually brings attention to those issues. The social justice movement of our, of our time did that. It brought a lot of those issues that we've been dealing with or marginalized communities have been dealing with, but it has been ignored. But as we protest, the movement stops. But we found that it must go further. You must lobby and create those, take those ideas that identify the needs for solutions to paper in the hands of policymakers and the movement to get it passed. 
So we discussed this in protest policy and protest versus lobby. And then we wanted to delve deeper into the policy itself. So we looked at, we started a segment called What's In It, where we start to analyze bills and public policy and statutes and laws and cases that really affect our community, but we really don't pay attention to the details. So we analyzed the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. What's in it? Why is it stalling? What is the issue with not passing it? Well, this is going to be developing as we see other bills introduced, such as the John Lewis Voting Rights Act or Voting Rights Bill and other bills that are named after individuals that help to champion them, but also just cases that are decided that will, in effect, create policy and create change. We also delved into the big lie. Voting against January 6th, the insurrection. We all saw it. We all know what happened. But for some reason, people want to ignore it. I'm telling you, the day of, you had Republican lawmakers trying to create a new narrative, saying that it was Black Lives Matter. It was uh, others that tried to come in and do this. And the Trump supporters actually took offense to that because that was their hard work. That was their handiwork. It was illegal. It was unconstitutional. It was downright un-American. But they owned it. And I can give it to them. They owned their wrongdoing. And the FBI thanks them too. So why? Why the lack of courage to vote against it? Why protect the big lie? And then instead of protecting the Constitution, it seems that the Black vote is under attack. So we delved into the importance of the Black vote and why it's under attack. We know as African-Americans, and if you read history books earnestly, the right to vote, the right to own property, the right for economic upper mobility have been several rights that have been denied us from, from the onset of our landing here in this country. It's very important that we as a society understand our value and our vote, especially in this country, because it is the most powerful nonviolent tool that we have or weapon that we have in to create change. Be very mindful of that which those in power fight against and mindful of that that they don't fight against. Because what they fight against is a threat to their control, their reign, and their supremacy. So listen to the Black vote. Why is it under attack? And then we delved into the judicial branch of the United States. Explain. We understand that I believe the judicial branch is the most important branch in our government because it is the ultimate check and balance against all of the branches, all of the laws, policy, statutes, executive orders, regulations. It is the body, the entity that can invalidate a body of work that took years to get to the table and to get across the finish line. And with one opinion, a majority or plurality opinion, 
it can be changed. It's very important to understand the impact of lifetime appointments to our federal benches. It's important to understand the value of circuit courts and district courts, and not just the U.S. Supreme Court. It's very important to understand how the rules are created in or, and the strategy created in order to move individuals up to take their place or on our courts. There are many talented jurors out there, many talented legal scholars, many very, very skilled litigators, and I admire those skills. But should they all be our judges? Should they hold the title of justice for life? Well, that's left up to opinion, but we also analyze it through our lens and our philosophies that I discussed earlier. Well, there you have it. That is season one in a nutshell, where we delve into the laws and public policies and politics and recent events of our nation and our world to understand them better. Because I believe when you seek ye first to understand, then to be understood, you will make a more well-informed decision. Again, thank you so much for joining us for this first season of the Clavera Report, and we hope you join us for future seasons. Until next time, be well. See you in season two.